Okay, wonderful. Roger, I'm going to make sure you can hear me. Uh, yes, I can. Okay, super. Well, thank you, Dawn. And you know, what a treat. I just want to I just want to thank you so much for being here. This is this is quite. Uh, we are all in for quite a treat. Before we get started, I want to thank uh, the Satsang Committee. I want to thank Lynn for for making this happen. Rhoda for hurting cats and Julie and Ron and everyone else who's on our committee to bring this together. Um, so as uh, as fate would have it, Roger, we just, several of us, have just finished a, a three-day retreat where we were contemplating what, in our uh, language, we're calling the four principles of God. And uh, what you describe, I've heard, or I've heard you describe level one, level two, and, and coming in that that broadly uh, in a macro sense. So I'm, I'm just so excited in getting ready for this and being in the retreat. You know, just yeah, you can just see it all coming together. Te truth teachings have a way of doing that, don't they? Um, they do, yes. Before we get started, though, um, I, I wanted to just start at the beginning, give people, a, a, allow you to give people a sense of who you are and kind of how you came to this and, um, and just, you know, kind of let you introduce yourself. Um, all right. Well, <clears throat> I'm pretty much an, all, an ordinary human being. That's how I see myself. Um, I just had an interest um, that was sparked at a certain time that um, meant certain information came into, <clears throat> started coming into my life primarily because um, when that information uh, was first received, I sort of felt like, oh, wow, this is great. Why haven't I heard of this before. Um, and the information I'm talking about started off, I guess you could say, um, in a softer sense than typical non-dual teachings. It was just, um, it seemed a bit like psychology, you know, about human happiness and um, the way that thinking works. And um, it just left me with lots of things to think about. And so that then meant that there was a receptivity give me some more um, and that's why I think um, when we find ourselves on a spiritual path it tends to be an unfolding because um, our, our system is, is a filter as I see it and it filters out <clears throat> what it can handle what it needs um, what resonates with it and that information tends to change the system and then the system remains a filter and so it filters out new um, new information and, and allows new information to come in because the fact is that in life there is so much information around us all of the time um, you know you can go onto YouTube and it's all there you go into a library it's all there you go into um, <coughs> uh, just life experience and there is so much stimulus and input and our system filters out a lot of it um, and so we sometimes think oh well, this came onto my path just at the right time whereas another way of looking at it is there's so much of everything that it's always there it's just that we only receive it or, or able to receive it at a certain time and so then that creates this um, sense of synchronicity um, which really is the synchronicity of what is in our body um, together so I guess that was in the late 90s I, I um, found myself curious about this topic I'd always been curious about how things worked 
um, as a kid, I'd sort of try to fix something that had broken and then there'd be a closed compartment and I'd sort of open up the closed compartment to see what's in there, even though that wasn't what was broken. And sometimes I'd end up breaking the the toy or whatever, just because I was curious to see what was in there. Um, and so mechanics um, and, and understanding systems um, is something that I was wired for. And to me, the, um, the understanding of a system means that you can troubleshoot it, you can um, understand things that you, maybe you don't understand yet in the system, but because there's a broader understanding, it then allows a deductive process. You know, so someone who maybe works on irrigation pipes with pressures and water flow and all of that, um, compared to someone that doesn't know the rules of water flow and how the connections are, um, if there's a problem in that pipe setup and you're not familiar with the system and the general rules, you can't deduct or have any hope of fixing the problem. It's like, where do you start? And Whereas if you understand the system, things that would have seemed like a mystery um, are not anymore. Uh, and so I think spiritual seeking is um, a lot about receiving information that is generally not spoken about in life. And therefore, when we're not equipped to understand, and um, as that information starts coming in, um, then we start seeing things differently. And that then becomes a normal way of seeing um, in a learning process what starts off, you know, when, when you get start getting something for the first time, it's exciting and you realize, oh, now I know how to do this, that I didn't know how to do this. But in time, um, it becomes normalized, a bit like buying a new car. You're excited for a while and then it becomes, yes, that's my car. Um, and that's, to me, the deepening of the understanding where, in the end, you're not talking about um, this and that because it's not exciting and new in a sense anymore. Um, and what you're left with is a, a new reconfigured system that interacts with life in essentially a very different way. And um, those changes can be so deep. Um, uh, they change the fabric of who we are, that essentially we come to know ourselves as a different entity because actually the structure has changed and the um, the interaction between ourself and the circumstance in life is now received by an entity that processes that differently. And so essentially that means that um, we come to know ourselves differently. One of the things... I love about your teaching is that um, no matter what the quote topic's going to be of the day, you start with why you're there. You start with mm -hmm. the basics. You start with the, the, the most fundamentals of it. And so I, I would love, I, 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 I love that that's where you start every day and you reinforce and you reinforce. And perhaps you could just, you could walk us through the, um, the intro to that, whether you get all the way through the, the framework or just the beginning, I'll, I'll, I'll let, I'll let that be your call. Yeah, that, that's excellent that you've that you picked that up because um, I don't do it by accident. Um, part of this coming to understand when we start seeing how our thinking works um, is we see that our thinking um, 
tends to miss nuances and tends to go off um, in sidetracks and our whole life seeking um, something we think is important and not realize that it's not. And um, that then becomes a hindrance to movement in a, in a flowing and um, constructive and productive way. Um, so I start off the satsangs um, saying, look, these talks are about something very specific. And that means that if someone goes, oh, I'm not interested in that, they can t you know, go and use the time for something else. But if someone goes, oh, I am interested in that, then let's listen. But more importantly, I, I say it so that then when we're listening, we can always bring it back to what I had stated. This is what it's about. Because, you know, when you elaborate on a topic, you can go into a lot of subtopics and off into tangents. And especially if, a, if a, a seeker or a questioner thinks something is important, then the questions get can get dragged off in that direction. And you might end up talking about whether aliens exist and stuff which might be interesting relative to certain benchmarks, but it might not, might not be what we're really looking for. Um, so I say the talks really are about um, peace of mind for the human being that is here living their life <clears throat> in daily living. So peace of mind in daily living. Um, and... That's it. Everything else that is said is said because it is relevant and feeds back to this question, um, this topic of peace of mind in daily living. Um, and what is the opposite of peace of mind? Why This is why, um, so I'll throw this in and, and people might say, then realize, oh yes, that is something I'm interested in. The opposite of peace of mind is suffering in daily living. And when I use the word suffering, I'm not using the word suffering in relation to pain, physical pain, back aches, or being um, cold on the street in winter. Um, they're circumstantial pleasure and pain, and life is <clears throat> full of um, a vast range of pleasure and pain, and that's inescapable. Um, and I think we need to be able to start to distinguish and recognize that there are these layers that our thinking um, tends not to uh, see um, at first because it sort of just bundles everything together, working off our experience, which tends to be a conglomeration of everything. So um, suffering is not pain and not physical pain or emotional pain um, or financial pain, but suffering is our attitude to the flow of life, our attitude to the pleasure and pain of life. And <clears throat> that attitude is one that we could say is an attitude of attachment and personal doership. And when that's our general sense of self, um, or we has a sense of self, that is, I am this entity, and in order for me to be complete, I need outcomes, I need pleasure, I need life to go my way. <clears throat> and as well as being an, a human being that needs outcomes and life to look a certain way in order for me to be content, happy, complete, whichever way we look at it, 
we also tend to see ourselves <clears throat> as the orchestrator of life, the um, entity that is in control of what happens, including and especially in control of our own inner movement and feelings. Um, and that is an attitude towards the circumstances, the various outcomes that happen throughout our day, throughout our life, and included in the circumstances, the speaking, for example, the speaking now. And we have this built-in attitude that has been sort of put in place because of how human development happens. Um, and the attitude just assumes, well, if there is speaking, I must be doing it. And that becomes the identity um, that develops uh, from a, a very young age that sort of hangs around and is there whenever we're living. The identity that I need outcomes, I am dependent on outcomes. Um, so attacked and diminished by uh, painful or negative outcomes and added to and uplifted and made more complete by pleasurable outcomes. And furthermore, that I am the doer of the, how life turns out, the doer of how I perform and, uh, you know, my aptitude and my uh, capabilities. And therefore, we see the others as the doers of how they perform and the outcomes in life. And so this sense of self is a sense of self that has to be at war with the unfolding of life because, as I said, the, um, the very nature of the circumstance of life is that sometimes things are going to be pleasurable and sometimes painful and we're not in control of that. Um, and so that needs to be understood and accepted and seen as being the fundamental essence of the flow of life. That if we have the idea that um, I will one day be able to control life, manifest life in a way that is all pleasure, um, that's stemming entity that believes it is only complete if life is pleasure, 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 pleasure. And that's an unrealistic expectation. So if we can just surrender to the fact that, wow, the flow of life is not in my control. Tomorrow's outcomes are a mystery. And no matter how much planning um, we, can, we do, we're not going to be able to control the outcomes. You're not going to know how you're going to perform in a meeting, what you're going to say, what the feelings are that arise. It's a mystery. It becomes apparent at the time. And even when it happens, it feels like, oh, I did it. But really, it's a happening. It's an arising in the moment. And a, a realization of this and, and the describing of it can be useful at allowing us to start seeing dynamics that we hadn't um, processed in this way. Seeing of this means that um, we start to recognize the suffering that exists in our life because of our attitude to the flow of life because of how we relate to outcomes and how we assess why the outcome happened. Um, so the end of suffering is what I believe um, sums up what most spiritual teachings um, are getting at. And uh, each teaching will do it, it do, will, will affect this in a different way. So a teaching is a methodology, um, and there are very many different methodologies out, of, out there. Um, and they tend to dovetail in with each other. So they're different, but they're not necessarily wrong or inappropriate because they're different, because 
we tend to need different teachings at different times. And when we really um, listen, we'll start to hear that um, a teaching really at the end of the day is talking about the end of suffering, the end of psychological suffering, which is an uncomfortableness with oneself. And that suffering, that suffering is what I call peace of mind and daily living, which means we don't end up with special powers, um, being able to be in several places at once or read people's mind or know the workings of the universe or be filled with um, love or joy, which is a, a feeling that feels good. Um, that to me is part of the pleasure and pain and um, often our attachment and our idea about enlightenment delivering all of these sort of things, including bliss and love, um, is a remnant of this um, or a, a result of this um, psychological identity that has been put in place that believes that it needs those things. And so um, it hopes for those things and it expects those things and it can only see life in terms of gaining or losing feeling pleasure or pain um, and teachings use that um, to their advantage sometimes by sort of dangling a carrot in front of a seeker because they will realize that if we make it plain and simple and say this is about the end of suffering peace of mind um, certain egoic structures just will have no interest in that um it, it won't captivate them so they won't hang around long enough um for the teaching to actually make a difference so there's a little bit of trickery in, involved so at some point um a teaching will transition um and if it's not a teaching then another teaching comes in and says hey you know it's not really about bliss or love or joy um what you're really looking for and you can check this out for yourself um, is actually the end of suffering. And when the suffering is there, you assume it's going to be fixed by positive feelings, but really just see that it's the resistance, the internal resistance, the uncomfortableness with oneself that's the problem. And the solution is really the falling away of that uncomfortableness. And that uncomfortableness is attitudinal and based on the ingrained sense of self. So really it's about the sense of self changing and then the attitude to life and how the flow of life is received is essentially received completely differently. And what seemed um, very significant in the past and very much an attack or an addition to who I am becomes something like, who cares? Like, yeah, that happened, but let's move on because it's not part of um, who I am. It's not adding or subtracting from what I am now. Um, whereas when we have this other sense of self, we can't move on because those outcomes seem to be very personal. And in fact, moving on would be a sense of, um, in effect, a lack of self-respect. So the system cannot let go of the past and cannot let go of looking into the future when the identity feels that the past and the future defines it. It just would be, um, it would be an attack on, it is an attack on the sense of self that is there at that point in time. The great news is that the essence of the human being is something that already is complete and doesn't require life to turn out a particular way regardless 
our life turns out if we can to this part inside that is complete then this need to control this need to blame and feel shame and pride and have expectations and all the worry and anxiety tends to just fall away with it it dissolves so i i yeah, I appreciate you you bringing up the framework in that way, and and I, I've heard you in the past use the use the in between the the us that knows these things are true uh, knows we just have to not be so attached. It knows we're not the doer, and then the next thing you know, we're just hooked into a circumstance, and we're just you know we focus right down on it. We get tight about it, and and I've, I've heard you describe it as the wobble. We you know we 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 have a scene. We have a little moment or maybe several moments strung together, but then there's that wobble mm-hmm. where we're back in into that kind of uh, believing and uh, kind of giving that attention and we feel kind of trapped which way is up. And you, mm-hmm. you've, you've spoken about these teachings and the difference between a description and a prescription. And I mm-hmm. wondered if you could, you could talk about that distinction because that, that for me was very helpful to, to hear your, uh, the way you articulate that. Sure. So um, it, the terminology uses the flip-flop wobble. Oh, um, I, I know exactly what you meant when you said it. Okay. Um, so yeah. And the flip-flop is, is, a, is, a, is a description of what a seeker inevitably finds as um, part and parcel of the process. And there's a very good reason why this flip-flopping happens. And I, I think it's nice to know what that reason is because the truth is when, as a seeker, when we go into the flop, if the system has no no um, description of what that is, then we're just left with the flop. And the flop is essentially where we find this uncomfortableness, this doubt, the no clarity, and we essentially get find ourselves regressing back to a position where we realize, oh, this is suffering. This is where I feel lost and disconnected and don't have any direction or clarity or don't feel connected to a deeper part of myself. Um, And that's normal. So this flip-flopping is a normal understanding part of the process. And the reason is because the system is changing um, as the information and the processing of the information goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And that deepening of the understanding essentially is kicking out the misunderstanding, the old beliefs, the old sense of who we are. Um, But it doesn't do it all in one go. There are some significant insights that happen that sort of shake the system and weaken it um, and bits fall off. And um, there's a sense often when we have this insight that's it it's all done and i can't understand how did i possibly see life that way in the past how it's not i'm not going to fall into that again and so i have a little chuckle sometimes when someone tells me that's it um i simply can't it's not possible for me to relate to life the way i used to um, and I say, let's, let's hope. Um, but the likelihood is that the flop will happen. And when the flop happens, you'll laugh, maybe, if, if there is any capacity to laugh in the flop, at the fact that a week ago you were adamant that it is all seen clearly now. <clears throat> and 
that there's no way for the old <clears throat> attitude, the old sense of self to reemerge. Um, and the reality is that it does reemerge and it feels like everything that has been understood has been lost and it's out the window and we're back to square one, which is not what's happening. It's just that um, the pockets of um, deep beliefs that haven't been uprooted um, have sort of made their way to the surface and they're coloring life um, in that moment. Um, and so if we look at it as a dissolving of belief structures and um, understand that those belief structures have a lot of nuanced um, uh, structure to them and that what feels like a collapse of the structure might be a collapse of part of the structure and then we find out that it's just part of the structure because um, inevitably we find a circumstance happening and instead of being at ease with it and not feeling attacked by the circumstances we might have yesterday, suddenly there's this response where the circumstance seems all important. And inevitably, that will fade away and we find ourselves back into the flip. It's like, ah. And the observing flip-flop is actually great, um, a, great, a great feature because what it does is it allows us to assess the suffering structure, assess the dynamics that are at play, which we could call, um, you know, this egoic structure or the, the doer and the attachment to outcomes and see them in terms of the descriptions that are put forward. So um, one of the two key components that I describe as being the key components of the sense of self that suffers is the belief in personal doership. I make my thinking happen. I make my feelings happen. I make my actions um, happen and I control the outcomes or I should. And the other is the same. So that is the... Um, sense of who we are that's been deeply ingrained and it leads to blame blame and hatred and guilt and shame and pride now the pride at first um, mightn't seem like suffering because it's linked to um, a feeling in relation to or an attitude in relation to positive outcomes and so generally it's a positive outcome so it doesn't feel as feel the same necessarily as um, when outcomes are not pleasurable um, but the essence of it of pride is i am the doer look what i have done look how good i am oh i am worthy i am i'm better than him and him and him good i'm feeling better about myself um, and when peace of mind has set in which means that that entity claiming ownership has has dissolved if pride comes back in you go oh, you know get, get that out of there you realize that compa compared to the the crispness the cleanness the silence of the attitude of doership compared to that pride and especially blame and shame um uh, they have they have a, a they have a visceral sense to them that is just uncomfortable. Um, and so that's very important for us to start feeling. And the flip-flopping gives us this potential to um, have an experience of when the doer 
that is attached to outcomes is deactivated and we see the flow of life happening, painful things happening, and yet there isn't this involvement, this reaction, this sense that this is crucial, that it changes or that it didn't happen this way. And then the next week we find that there is this stickiness, this involvement, this psychological um, sense that this is an attack on who I am. And being able to see it and hopefully with the aid of certain um, concepts that have been put forward to us, put words to it, which allows the dynamic to be seen for ourselves, And that's very important to be able to see for ourselves because of our own observation, rather than getting lost in just listening to concepts and saying, oh, that's the way it is. And, and um, then just believing a concept, because that means it's just in our head and we haven't really looked we haven't got into the into the onto the field that is being spoken about and got our hands muddied and dirty and really understood the dynamics and once we do understand them they become um, much more than an intellectual understanding and that's part of the deepening that continues to uproot the false sense of self um, and so along just to finish up you you asked if I could talk about the difference between description and description. Um, and I make the statement that the teachings are always descriptions of what happens and what might happen. And they're never a prescription of something for the doer to do because the teaching understands there is no one doing anything, as in there is no one that is in control of how they um, function. Uh, we will function according to the design that we are in that moment. Um, and our thinking, our attitude says, that's me. That's me doing it. Whereas, you know, if in this instant your brain um, sort of had a bit of a malfunction, you might not be able to speak. And that's when, um, you know, little gifts in life happen when things like that happen and we realize wow you know my motor skills that i thought was me in control of um when they stop working you you realize there isn't an entity in control there's a piece of machinery that is functioning and this is the attitude that allows us to come in contact with something that is um not mechanical not physical but is the essence of the human being the consciousness and um an appreciation of that allows us to rest in a place where life is known to be a happening and that part of the human being when we're connected to that and we rest there it's like it's okay this is this is not meant to be my way it's going to be the way and that's okay. It, it isn't an attack on who I am. So we have a, a great sense of peace when we're not identified with this idea of who we are that is a very sort of limited and fragile concept of self. Um, so the notion that the teachings are descriptions and not prescriptions so um, means that when we talk about happiness being um, because of our attitude to the flow of life, it sounds like, oh, there's and that would be how the doer that believes that it has to do life um, always processes life. So it hears a concept and 
it says, okay, you're telling me that I have to have not this attitude, but that attitude, because this attitude leads to suffering, and that attitude leads, leads to the end of suffering. So, well, I'm not telling you that you have to change your attitude. I'm saying that your attitude may change as part of the unfolding of life, and part of the understanding, which is not your doing, but is part of the change, is for you to realize, for there to be a realization, for a realization to happen, um, that in fact, if a certain thought happens, if an insight happens now about attitude to life, about non-doership, it happened because of the fact that you listened to a talk that was talking about non-doership and um, you weren't in control of what was going to be said. You weren't in control of how the system receives it. And yet the talk happened, the system received it, and then the thought happened. And so it's not to say that things don't happen. Things do happen. Life is a happening. But what we believe is my doing tends to be much more of a happening. Um, and so seeing that is, um, is crucial, and that too is a happening. So even though I use words that um, talk about causality and um, could easily be mistaken by the listener as you're telling me to do this. Um, you're telling me to stop suffering and to start feeling peace of mind. Um, that's not what I'm saying. And that's why this concept is put in there because if people listen to the talks over and over again, the, the great theme is non-doership that are happenings and the same, the, the doership and the attachment is also a happening. Um, so it's just describing how we are at this moment and how um, we might be down the track and what leads to that. Um, and what leads to it is information like this and the processing of it in the system and neither of which are something that you do or you have to do, which is great news because it means that you're on holiday or you're, you're off duty. You, ha you don't need to do seeking in the way that we tend to start off doing seeking, which is, okay, I've got this big task ahead of me and where do I start? It, it, it means life is happening. You've already found yourself as a seeker. You didn't do that. And you can relax and go with the flow, which really means... Um, realize that in a particular moment you'll see a book and there'll be the urge to pick the book up and that is the process happening and it won't stop just because you're not um, saying okay I'm the doer in fact it will probably happen much more effectively and efficiently with a lot more ease so what well, I appreciate all that and uh, and especially this your clarity and explaining it so one of the key you know I don't know, moments or scenes um, is when we can disidentify as the doer. One of those key moments is when we have that, wow, that, you know, we, we watch a thought and we, we truly witness the thought come up and we no longer, I mean, we can say my thought because it feels like it's in here, but there's mm -hmm. somewhere knowing I didn't just do that thought. I was sitting here minding my own business. All of a sudden thought came up. I recognize it. I might get hooked in. I might not. But there's that there's that scene again and again and again, which then allows this you're not the doer to hit to land. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so 
So just uh, scooting over just a little bit to the question of awakening versus liberation. So mm-hmm. awakening as, as um, and, and I'd, I'd love your definition. My sense from listening to you is that that's when awareness, this awareness aspect is functioning, that we're aware that we're aware we're catching these thoughts. We might still get hooked in with them, but we're aware, catch, 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 you know, kind of like um, air traffic controllers. And we're just watching and shoot, doop, 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 and we watch them. And, and there's the sense that we're not, there's not just the sense, there's the knowing we're not the doer. And that, that can be sometimes real clear uh, and real present. And sometimes it, it fades when a certain trigger is hit. And it all, like you said, the structure just kind of takes over because it still has enough energy in it. But I, I wanted to see if you could talk about awakening, whatever your definition of that uh, is, and then what you talk about is liberation, which are, are two very different things, but the one is um, sufficient, but not necessary for liberation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you see, the to me, um, because the doer, uh, and a particular structure, um, identity, belief structure, is in place as, as, a, as the human being because it's the default way that we develop um, based on our experience setting in place and um, how all of the spatial um, and time aspects of life and the physical senses, um, the, the experience they create from a baby forces us to develop with a certain sense of self, which is this, this doership and attachment. Um, and anyway, as I mentioned that we'll hear, um, this notion of attitude, um, and one attitude leads to suffering. One attitude leads to peace of mind. And it's prone for the, the, the listener to say, oh, well, I have to do it, which can actually reinforce this sense of doership. Um, teachings recognize what the problems are, and so they will <clears throat> structure the teachings in ways to deal with the problem. And it's not really one problem. It's, or it, it, I guess you could always say there is one problem, but there are lots of interconnected components to this sense of self. Um, and so some teachings will insist that there is no time, that there is no causality. Um, and that is addressing a particular part of the structure that is bound to hear anything that suggests time and causality and, and use it and just keep reinforcing its current structure. Um, so in saying that, I'm hoping to point out that teachings are not telling us the truth um, everything that I put forward is a concept and in this teaching and the concept that I'm putting forward says that any teaching um, that is put forward is only ever a concept, um, not the truth. Now, as part of the teachings, some teachings will argue that and say it's the truth because that's what um, how the teaching needs to be related to um, in order to make certain changes. Um, I'm adamant that no teaching will ever tell us the truth. Um, What teachings can do is point and deliver concepts that can be useful at bringing about change. Um, And one of the significant changes in the process is a realization or a recognition of 
of our life experience that is always here. It has to be here in order for, if we are having a life experience, which means if we can see the table, the chair, if we can hear our own talking, hear other people's talking. So if there's an experience of life, there is awareness. Um, you know, the, the, the airplane in some other country is outside of your awareness. It, it essentially doesn't exist relative to your life experience. Everything that is in your life experience, I mean, your life experience right now, not oh, my life experience is I have kids and they're at school, but your life experience as it arises right now in this moment, anything that is known, even through perception, is within the field of awareness. The field of awareness, the, the awareness aspect is ever-present when it comes to life experience being here, our experience of life. Um, and it's what, once our understanding becomes integrated and we then just get on living life as a human being but without suffering, um, I would say we know ourselves as a human being and that includes all of the aspects that make up um, the human being, which is the physical, the emotional, and especially the consciousness. And there is a, a resting in the consciousness aspect that previously wasn't able to happen um, because that consciousness aspect, although it was there, was not uh, registered. And so therefore, where we sort of rested, which is not really resting, where we operate from is from thinking. And thinking is always moving outward to some other place so it doesn't actually get to rest and feel the essence of the consciousness um, and what consciousness aspect and what bumps into it is essentially the consciousness itself it, it, it turns inwards and realizes the consciousness that is present here um, what that allows is for life to be witnessed from a perspective that is very different to the um, way life is seen from the thinking mind. Um, so what it does is it allows the circumstance to be seen as if witnessed from the audience in a in a theater, let's say, rather than feeling like life is being seen um, and I'm on the stage. So it, it creates a bit of distance and a bit of perspective. And that distance and perspective is very important at coming to understand dynamics because it changes the qualitative nature of, of um, how life is known. Um, and the difference between the witnessing versus being um, structured a certain way where the witnessing is is not active, um, the difference in feeling is like, that is my thought. That's when there is no witnessing compared to when witnessing is there. It's like, that isn't my thought. That is just happening. Like, literally, it has come in to awareness and it has um, moved on or disappeared, dissolved. Um, and it's a qualitative shift that then means that our system will start to relate to objects the way it feels. 
Um, whereas when that shift hasn't happened, and I was talking to someone, your thoughts are just a happening, your thoughts arise and subside. I know that their experience, if this shift hasn't happened, their experience is not confirming that to them. And they, they can't honestly say, oh, I get it, I see it, I feel it. Um, so teachings realize that the, the process understands that this witnessing um, is very important. So there are a lot of teachings that are dedicated simply to this shift. And because a, a teaching, if a teaching is dedicated simply to this shift, um, which means it's a very focused teaching and we need that, um, when someone is engaged in that teaching, um, this mistake happens in our thinking that says the teaching is telling me the truth um, or we lose track of what it is we're really looking for, which is why I state at the beginning, we're looking for peace of mind in daily living. When we, when we make it something really practical, when we ask ourselves, what am I looking for on a practical sense and not going off into a concept, but saying, what am I really looking for? Um, we come up with this answer. Oh, I'm actually looking for the end of suffering. That's all. Who, what else am I kidding? Whereas in the awakening teachings, in order to bring about this shift into the witnessing, um, we need to talk about oneness. We need to talk about you not being a, a, a body. We need to talk about the world not existing, everything being an illusion. There's all sorts of um, concepts that are very useful at bringing about that shift. Um, we need to talk about that being truth and that the time and space and um, form is all illusion. Um, and that's not the truth. No teachings are telling us the truth. What it's doing is it's putting, it's not a lie. It's just taking a particular problem and working on that problem. Um, and for, in order for awareness to become aware of itself, um, and what has prevented the awareness from being aware of itself is this heavily, heavy identification that has happened. And um, that's essentially a neurological structure, let's say, um, or divine hypnosis, whichever way you want to look at it. But one way is saying it's a neurological structure that has formed that forces us um, to, be, to take form as absolutely real and to not realize that my life experience is a subjective experience within awareness and consciousness. And so therefore the relationship is that is a table that is absolutely a table. Um, and it is absolutely outside of me. And there is absolutely a past that has happened and absolutely a future. And so our thinking has taken um, form and time and space and turned it into an absolute thing. Um, and so teachings tend to need to diminish and attack that, and they do it with a sledgehammer that um, says none of that is real. And eventually, um, because if we resonate with a teaching, we feel like it's telling me the truth, and we get a sense that you know my, exist, my current way of seeing life is illusion. And so we start... We trust the teaching. Um, we it, it starts acting as a um, a counter to our existing structures, and at some point there can be this this spontaneous recognition of the consciousness that has always been here, and that 
spontaneous recognition of the consciousness by the consciousness or awareness by the awareness. We can use the word consciousness and within this particular discussion as I've structured it. Um, in that moment, it's because the structure that was a particular way has been weakened by concepts and by our relating to the concepts that um, has then led to a process where we, whenever we think about the past, we say it's not real, it doesn't exist. Or we talk about, um, we have a, a thought that includes time and then we'll catch that out and we say time doesn't exist, it's just now. Um, and that process of continually um, uh, relating to our thinking according to the concepts that say, for example, form is not real, you are not the body, or any range of concepts that are within various types of teachings, um, weakens the structure. And at some point, we might have this spontaneous realization of the awareness or consciousness that is a key component of our life experience. In fact, you could say a fundamental component of the life experience. If that awareness or consciousness wasn't there, the whole experience collapses with it. Um, and so at first, the irony is that there's an awakening to the consciousness in a way where the consciousness seems separated as if it's a background and all the objects then start appearing as objects that are not the awareness. Um, and they're changing, they come and go. We um, sight objects, sound objects, all the sense objects, we, and the thought objects and the emotion objects get witnessed as this moving soup that we can relate to as the <clears throat> objective world, the not absolute, the changing, the unreal. And the consciousness is seen to be the ever-present, unchanging background. Um, when you look at it, that that's great. In fact, there's now a new duality that has been caused in our structure. Um, and um, that needs to be adjusted and changed. But because it feels that way, the seeker doesn't realize that the experience is being affected by our structure always. Um, and one of the concepts in those teachings is you are now seeing reality, truth as it is, not through a filter, etc. That's another concept. That's not the truth, as far as I say. Nothing. It's the truth that is put forward. Um, but it's very useful. And as that morphs into something else, the objects and the awareness stop being seen as two, and it then is seen that all of the objects and the awareness are interdependent and that there is no such thing as awareness that is unchanging, but there is only an aware experience that is always changing. Anyway, I'm talking, I, I do that to sort of show that there is a progression, uh, an evolution, you could say. See, and a, a lot of people will say that's nonsense. There's no such thing as evolution because maybe they're working on the principle that there's no time and there's no causality. And so when I talk about evolution, it doesn't make sense to their system. And I wouldn't say you have to listen to it my way because I know that being immersed in a particular framework is very useful at bringing about the changes. So how does this relate to awakening versus liberation? Essentially, the process of realizing the awareness as a significant component of one's life experience or the life experience and 
in an integrated way, we would say the awareness is a significant component of the human being, um, that, that realization is what I could say is awakening. Awakening to the consciousness that was always there um, that wasn't realized. So self-realization is a, a realization of the self which in this case, um, as it's being, the self is not, um, it's, an, it's a, a realization of what we can call the self, but really it's an aspect that was previously um, overlooked. Um, and because that is called self-realization, and because self-realization and liberation um, are interchangeably used sometimes, um, then we might think, oh, it's all about becoming aware of awareness, which I don't think it is. Um, I think it's about peace of mind for the human being in daily living, very practical, right? It's becoming aware of awareness is a very significant shift that can help lead to peace of mind because it means that there can be a resting in that and there can be a seeing of the non-doership. There can be uh, experiential knowing that my happiness isn't dependent on outcomes because when we're resting in this aspect of the self or aspect of the human being that we can call the self, then there is a sense of it, us being self-contented. That is the understander, uh, the, the peace that passeth understanding, which is I'm at peace without a circumstance dictating it. And that doesn't make sense to our normal logic that says I will be at peace if I get everything I want. Um, and so we need to find this aspect of ourself to, um, to start to get firsthand evidence that my happiness isn't to be found in outcomes that I'm not the doer. However, when awakening happens, um, the words and beliefs often are very much still in the system. So what's happened is there is an awakening to this aspect of self, but the I am the doer and attachment um, belief structure is still in the system. So awakening in and of itself does not deliver liberation. And so to me, liberation is liberation from suffering liver uh, or peace of mind. Um, so the end of suffering equals peace of mind. So peace of mind is the absence of suffering, the non-arising of suffering, which is the non-arising of a certain set of feelings and thoughts based on the old idea of what I am, who I am. Um, and so the, this is the distinction. You have awakening is spontaneous and then liberation or deliverance deliverance of liberation is gradual and that gradual is um, as we continue to rest in this witnessing state from time to time because remember the structures the belief structures that are still in the system will drag us out um, and there'll be this flip-flopping but as we return here more and more regularly we become more and more familiar with it the pathway to the heart to resting in awareness becomes more and more um, formed it becomes easier more natural to be there um, and instead of finding ourselves living from out there eventually the balance of power changes and we find oh i now am living from here 
um, much more. And here, in a sense, equates to presence, where the egoic sense of self that is looking at the past and blaming, feeling regret, looking into the future, having expectations and worry, believing that my happiness is to be found in outcomes, has dissolved. And then we carry on doing, but realizing it's all happening according to our genes and up-to-date conditioning, which means our current structure. And so we'll be good at some things and some things will work out, some things won't. We'll put our foot in it when we're in certain conversations. There'll be certain reactions that will happen and it will all be seen as a happening according to life's will, i.e. not my will. Um, and that is the difference between awakening and the significant process that continues to happen after awakening, which has to do with a lot of a refining of our belief systems and how we interpret life, um, including um, weakening the beliefs that have led to awakening, um, such as I'm not the body, time and space are not real. Um, all of those need to be weakened because they're new beliefs such that we can live as if I'm a human being in a world of time and space, which for all intents and purposes is what we are. And for as long as we're not living as that, they say we're lost in a conceptual world. So um, bring on peace of mind for more and more people, which I think is inevitable and happening. Well. Wow, that's a lot. Thank you. So, okay, so so awakening is when the awareness aspect is is functioning and is aware of awareness, and it's it's it it checks in, it rests in being, it, it gets sucked out sometimes, but then comes back. And the distinction you make is liberation, which is when the. It, so, just to be clear, does the self-referencing mechanism fall away, or just the suffering? Um, well, the old self-reference, I wouldn't use the word self-referencing so much, um, but the old self-referencing um, continues to diminish. So um, at the point when awakening is happening, has happened, um, the, the idea of who we are, the structure must have changed. It, it has changed. It, to me, it hasn't changed to um, a balanced, integrated structure. In fact, um, I've interacted, uh, the group that I have most trouble interacting with on an energetic level because um, uh, the, the suffering is very much linked to belief, um, the way that our thinking believes things absolutely or relates to concepts in an absolute way and that becomes an ingrained belief um, and ironically the, the a group of people have awakened and are still heavily attached to the concepts that delivered the awakening have a very strong um, structure still in place that to me is a structure that will lead to a lot of suffering um, so there are a lot of beliefs in place um, so there is an ever-changing structure of who we know ourselves as. And to me, liberation is not the end of structure, the end of a person, the end of um, a, a self, 
and only the being left with the self with a capital S. Um, to me, liberation is a process where the structure is gets to a point where it no longer suffers. Um, and there still very much is a structure and a human being that thinks that has preferences that, um, you know, likes doing certain things and doesn't like doing other things. Um, but the structure on an attitudinal level um, no longer knows how to say um, and look at things that happened and be confused about them and say that shouldn't have happened. Like it, it, that the structure will look at it and say, you know, that happened and it's tragic and it created a whole lot of pain and da da da. But it, attitudinally, it's understood that that's life. That's how life happens. Um, and along with that, um, a part of what allows us to understand and be able to relate to life like that is this connecting to the self where we find I am and I know that I am in each moment. <clears throat> Whenever I rest here, I find, oh, even if I've lost my job um, from one moment to the next, I am. It's like, who cares really it, relative to the fact that we've found the I amness that I am. Um, losing one's job is like, who cares? Let me not get hung up on that because tomorrow I'll look in the, in the classifieds and I'll find another job. And at some point I'm going to die. So if I don't find another job, that's how I might die, right? On the extreme. And at some point that's going to happen. And the way I see it, um, once we come to see life a certain way, it's an experience. And each night, we go to sleep and there's deep sleep and the experience comes to a sort of temporary end. It's, there's no awareness and there's no content. And so there's just what you could say, nothing relative to the experience of life. And death may well be the same thing. It, who knows what's after? It's irrelevant when we're looking at happiness for the human being. This is an example of something we think is relevant, but um, having an idea of what's after death, we think is relevant. You know, we're not looking for happiness after death. We're looking for happiness in daily life. Um, so we need to worry about death. But if we assume that we die and then there's nothing else, then where's the problem? There's no problem for anyone. There's no one there to have a problem. Um, and so at some point in our relationship to the flow of life, if we do have access to this I amness, then even if I die, well, that's the end of the story. The, every story comes to an end. We've seen it time and time again. People die, and that's the end of that experience. Um, and it's the egoic sense that feels discontent and incomplete that says, no, I can't die because I haven't got where I need to go. Um, and so I think when, when that stops and each moment is life when it when we look at it as not being there it's like well where's the big deal it's a big deal if i haven't if i feel like i haven't it's like you know you're on master chef or something and you're plating up and they say time's up you go no it can't be up i haven't finished <laughs> um <laughs> anyway so <laughs> Oh, uh, so I so I see that we're 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 
we've come through an hour and I just want to in, invite anyone who has a question for Roger to, uh, to so indicate. And I trust that I cannot see everyone. So I trust that Dawn will tell me. Uh, so please uh, feel free if you have a question. I have, I have several, but I want to just pause for a moment and see if anyone's wanting to ask. Okay, so let me so let me so let me shift us, uh, if I if I may, back to kind of what I alluded to when we started, which is your macro view of of, of uh, consciousness, of source, of the whole the whole ball of wax. And I just wanted to um, get your um, articulation. Uh, oh, Audrey has her hand up. Okay, let me pause just for a second. Thank you, Dawn. And uh, hear a question from Audrey. Oh my gosh, you didn't have to stop to, to have me ask. <laughs> um, so I am just, I don't think my video is good. Oh, it is. I am, want, my question is for Roger. And Roger being Roger, I would like to know what question Roger would ask. Good one. Um, if I had one question, um, as a seeker, I imagine, what question would I, is what am I really looking for? Because if you ask that question, as you say, that is my one question. Um, and so then I give an answer, and let's say it doesn't just fade away, like, oh, okay, I asked that question, I got that answer, but it was your one question. And... I gave the answer and I say, we're looking for peace of mind and peace of mind is whether we know it or not. Often we don't know it, right? We're often we look, we think we're looking for um, oneness. We're looking for the self. We're looking for um, a new power, looking for a soulmate, all of these things that um, we've conceptualized as what it is that we're looking for. Um, and that tends to drive us to miss the dynamics that are so important to recognize. So if I say we're really looking for um, circumstance, that to me gives us a benchmark that then we need to start asking questions from there. Um, like, okay, so what is peace of mind? Um, because peace of mind is a word. And so then we need to know, okay, peace of, peace of mind is the end of suffering. That's my definition. Okay, what is suffering? Suffering is um, the attitude that we have that arises within our life experience that is an attitude of uncomfortableness, resistance, disconnection, dis-ease. And it infects essentially relative to peace of mind. Uh, it makes life not satisfying. Um, and so from then there on, so what is the cause of suffering or what is the dynamic of suffering? Um, suffering is a result of us relating to the flow of life in a way where we see ourselves as the doer, the other as the doer and attachment to outcome. And when we see ourselves, when we know ourselves as the doer in control, we hate ourselves for all the things we didn't do right. And we hate the other for all the things. So we can't love ourselves. We can't love the other. We can't be at harmony. We can't let life flow. We can't let the fact that we put our foot in it in a 
um, relationship in a meeting be okay because it was my fault. And so we hate ourselves and we feel shame. And so at the root of the psychological identity that has been put in place by life, at the root of it is shame um, on a very fundamental level. And I think that um, it stems, if, if we get metaphysical, I think there's um, maybe a sense I was thrown out of heaven and I'm here. What did I do wrong? I must have done something wrong to have been thrown out. And uh, another is when we're born, we're th- we might think we've been thrown out of heaven. Um, we're now not in the womb anymore. I'm here. Why did I come here? What did I do wrong? Um, and so there's an ingrained sense of I'm not good enough and an uncomfortableness, uh, not okayness with being here because I must have done something wrong. I'm not complete. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of not being good enough. And so a realization, you're not doing any of this. It's, it's a happening. You can, you can relax. And the load of guilt and blame and shame that we've carried around for our whole life can just fall away. And um, if we get carried away with dimensions and uh, all all sorts of things, um, we might not end up finding that our seeking is focused on what it is that in practical terms, we're really looking for the end of the uncomfortableness with life. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Roger. Mm. Um, so, so thank you, Audrey. Absolutely. So, so if I can, if I can shift you back to the macro, um, to the, um, to the, to, to your words of level one, level two, uh, Roger has her hand up too. Let me stop. Let me, let me go to Roger for a second. No, no, you want me to go to this for a second. Okay. Roger's asking me to continue having you just talk us through that and about, uh, you know, kind of this, how the whole framework comes together. This is the beginning of it. Mm. Um, well, in the in the teaching framework, I could I wrap the macro up, and a lot of what I share is um, what uh, my teacher Ramesh would share. And I went to Ramesh after the awakening had set in fairly deeply. So you know, when I went to Ramesh, I had um, I I sat in front of him, and he said. Um, he asked me a question, like, what's happening? And I said, well, um, consciousness is speaking with consciousness. Consciousness is listening to consciousness. Everything is a happening in consciousness. And he sort of, and, and that was not just a concept. That was my experience from the witnessing perspective. Um, and he sort of leaned forward and said, Roger, don't be ridiculous. Um, Roger is speaking with Ramesh and Ramesh is listening. And then Ramesh speaks to Roger and Roger listens. And I was like, what is this guy on? Um, uh, it taken me, you know, there was a process of about five years of realization. There is no Roger and there is no Ramesh. There is just everything happening um, as an arising in this moment. And it's all apparent um, causality, let's say, or whatever. Apparently, Roger speaking to Ramesh and apparently Ramesh listening. And um, and so I had a lot of trouble um, accepting what he was saying. The only way I could accept it is by saying, okay, so, but, um, so it's all consciousness. And so really consciousness is speaking with consciousness. 
um, and uh, but I can say, okay, Roger is speaking to Ramesh, but really, I, but I kept going. But really, consciousness is speaking with consciousness because there's no Roger and there's no Ramesh, and Ramesh basically reasserted what he said, and that's when I realized <clears throat> after a while that an integration needed to happen. Um, that that macro picture was not. Um, peace of mind and daily living that I wasn't able to accept I am a human being I was I am consciousness all there is is consciousness um, which I know from my experience was a fairly deep a very deep understanding I think that at that point um, my peace of mind in daily living was substantial more than is normal and yet um, a lot happened after that point um, and so I guess a lot of what I share now is about the micro. So in the teaching framework, the macro is, is this, that consciousness at rest, source, pure potentiality, um, which, is not, which is nothing, but not dead nothing. So source in its potential form at some point has to activate, has to become, actualize its potentiality. And so source explodes into manifestation. The whole of the manifestation, um, and in practical terms, that's our life experience, our world, our universe, our universe is not particularly practical. We could then say maybe multi-universes or whatever. In practical terms, it's our daily life is the manifestation. Um, and at some point, the manifestation will return back to nothing. And we can see this happening on a, you can look at it from a moment to moment basis, pure potentiality becomes and then returns back to nothing and then re-becomes and returns back to nothing. Or you can look at it as the totality of time, pure potentiality manifests into the totality of time and then returns back to nothing, ready to manifest again into a new um, manifestation, whatever that is, whatever laws and um, rules are in that new manifestation. In this manifestation, it's a manifestation of time and space and causality and form. Um, and looking at the macro picture is very useful at creating an awakening. It's not particularly useful at integrating our system so that we get to just get on with living as a human being free of suffering and frankly they 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 are not two separate things they're interconnected opposites and they support each other and if you go into another teaching it will make my micro very small um the the micro view the causality very small and it will spend all of the time talking about the macro and that's that's very fortunate for seekers because we end up getting exactly what we need. We stumble into what resonates with us at a particular time and we stay there for as long as it resonates. And then something comes in and someone says, Hey, you know, you're not meant to live as consciousness. Um, being this, well, that, that's, that was something that became very apparent to me. So that's why I say it. And the movement that happened after was very, very significant and Frankly, I want to live as a human being. It's amazing to live as a human being, less amazing to live as consciousness. Um, 
and the benefit of living as a human being, when you know that the human being is a conscious entity, then you have access to self or consciousness however it's now framed as maybe not being i don't know i don't need it to be god's consciousness who cares about god i just know that i am um and we look when we look at it um and we look at this idea that the consciousness the self that i know is god's consciousness it's just a carryover concept that we're still believing because the truth is if you rest in being and are aware of awareness, it doesn't tell you where it comes from or it may just well be the consciousness of either this human being or some other being that is conscious um, and the idea of where the consciousness came from <clears throat> essentially is a conceptual framework, a teaching that is useful to bring about change. It's not the truth. <laughs> um, and the, the best, I'm not saying there isn't a God, but... Um, it's irrelevant. What's relevant is to know the human being in a way that allows us to live in a way that is contenting. And <clears throat> thankfully, that way of being contenting means we're no longer <clears throat> needing to take from the other, needing to take advantage of the other. And we find that our behaviors tend to um, change in a way that creates less problem for us. We, we are continually seeing what causes problems um, and refining that just simply to optimize our life experience, knowing that we're not in control of that. And so there's a surrender to, well, I tried to be better, but I wasn't better. And that is the attitude that leads to, to the peace, I think. So yes, there is a macro view that we can look at, but I wouldn't necessarily say, sometimes if I talk about the macro, then people say, oh, finally, you're talking about, you know, the truth. <laughs> um, and I can understand why that is, but I'd suggest that there's a lot more that happens after awakening. Wonderful, thank you. Rhoda. Thank you. Um, so I'm finding myself feeling lost, that's the truth. And I notice that there is a, question about so if i'm not doing this and this is just happening then what is the what is my spiritual practice for what is that what is that mm. i don't know if um, that's a question you can answer for me roger but there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know we tend to want to fix the feeling lost um and the wanting to fix it then says, how do I do it? Um, and part of our spiritual practice, especially if we really surrender to the fact that I'm not in control, even of my spiritual practice and the outcomes, means that um, at some point we will realize, the intellect will realize lostness is part of life and I may never not feel lost. Um, and getting involved in that lostness is another movement that adds another layer of suffering on top of that primary suffering of feeling unsure, lost. Um, and that's a different movement to what um, is normally in place. Normally, we want to fix it. How do I, the doer, fix it? Um, and so I often say that 
this feeling of confusion and lostness, any feeling, um, depression, sadness, whatever, um, is going to arise from time to time. And the attitude towards that at some point needs to be to let it be, to stop engaging with it in the old way of trying to do something about it. Now, that's not the answer. Um, all the time in seeking, but it, it's a significant answer. So sometimes um, when we see ourselves struggling with the feeling lost and insisting that we don't feel lost and craving that, you know, we hear peace of mind and we hear about peace of mind and then we say, oh, I want that and it becomes the new craving. And so if we ask this question, what am I really looking for? And it, beca and it becomes clear that it's peace of mind and peace of mind is the end of suffering. What happens is we end up seeing all of the movements of suffering and how they're reinforced. And then a movement in the system um, can happen. And so in relation to your question, sometimes if you see that in this thing that loss isn't there is more suffering then a spontaneous stop will arise in your thing and just say, stop, stop trying to fix it. And that might actually, it definitely will mean that there won't be an extra layer of suffering. It may even dissolve through the, um, the feeling of being lost where we actually go, stop. And something else can reveal itself when the, the habitual thinking is just cut off. That, that, uh, so that leads me to ask, you, you, I, 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 I've heard you talk about, you know, so Rhoda asked about practice. Um, and um, the way I've heard you put practice, which you specifically call not practice, but to me, it's the perfect um, way into practice, which is you say, do what you want, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and yet, um, so that can, you know, can sound like a non-practice at all. Uh, that can sound like when the, you know, when the, when the, I don't want to comes up, just like the, I don't like them, or I don't like this, or I don't, when the resistance to life comes up, it can come up as a, I don't want to. Um, and how do we tease out the uh, the my way, which we're letting we're letting go more and more, and the system is kind of uh, you know kind of refining, so to speak, or or it's throwing off that energy. How do we know? Uh, how do we sort out one from the other? How do we navigate that? Do it, I guess, is the question, right? Uh, well, you, you froze for uh, 20 seconds there, oh. um, but, <laughs> okay. but I, um, I, I got the gist uh, when you were asking about do what you feel like and practice and non-practice and whatever. Um, you know, often um, the, the doer is what starts seeking, and um, so then it relates to seeking with its doership um, attitude. And one of those, um, atti the, the attitude of the doer is, I need to make things happen my way. And so we then say, well, I need to meditate day, And then after that, I've got to go for a walk. And then after that, I've got to do this. And we are the doer is forcing life, although it doesn't really 
it, it isn't really life. it's still life happening but when it's when life is happening and the doer is present um as part of life it means that life is going to include the happening of life is going to include this resistance this identity um and so at some point we have to say you know this idea of practice the the doer doing practice is not what makes practice happen um Often I say, you know, just do what you feel like. And someone says, in that case, I'll never meditate. I said, well, I'd, you'd be surprised. Um, we think that the doer makes meditation happen. We think that the doer makes everything happen. And what's amazing is once the attitude of doership drops away, then you find yourself, I'm here. And the doorbell rings and you get up and answer the door. Um, and then... You might come back and, okay, I'm here. And you have an urge to go to the toilet. And so you go to the toilet. And we realize life continues to happen even if there is no doer. That um, the doer is an attitude that is superimposed on what is happening. And it's not really what is happening. And so in the teaching we say, look, all of these shoulds and shouldn'ts are useful um, at a certain point, because certain egoic structures, if you tell them to do what they feel like, they, they, it's not going to look good. <laughs> it's not going to be good. And so, you know, you have the Ten Commandments or whatever, and it says, do this and don't do that. Uh, at a certain point of our development, we look at the Ten Commandments and go, they're not commandments, they're not prescriptions, but they're descriptions of how we can live, how life can happen. Um, and so, at a I would say that somewhere along our journey, we have to stop our seeking in the way that it used to happen, realizing that the identity was driving or was being alive as part of the seeking. And it's just do what you feel like, which means someone, if you don't meditate for a month, who cares? Maybe that's great. In fact, I'd suggest it's great because um, maybe it was the doer doing the meditation. And if you don't meditate for a month, it means the doer is starting to get a rest. Um, and what I found is when the doer falls away, um, it doesn't necessarily mean your seeking is going to stop. You can find a seeking happening with an amazing flow. Um, so much so that my seeking was happening while I was dreaming. So all of the investigation and the resting and being, et cetera, was then spontaneously happening in the dream state as well. So it, we don't, life doesn't need a doer in order for life to happen. In fact, the doer has never made life happen. Wow. That, that sounds like an absolutely perfect point to end on uh the doer has never made life happen it doesn't make life happen and uh, i i just on on behalf of all of us appreciate you inviting us into the, our inquiry and um you know if you'll indulge me just for a minute you know last spring uh when we all went into lockdown i imagine <laughs> you had a lot of things you could have done and um you choosing to do satsangs six days a week, week in and week out and week in and week out brought um, more specific, um, you know, testing of this and, uh, you know, looking, assessing the structure and saying, oh, wait, is this the, gosh, dag it, there it is. It's my belief in doership. When I was mad at my mom, 
but, but yeah, I, I got this whole circumstance, but sure enough, I was believing she was the doer and I could keep finding it and I could keep finding it. And I could just let awareness fall with it. And um, it's just such a gift, Roger. It's such a gift that you, you bring these teachings, that you stick to it, that you, you, you know it's going to break down the system. And I, 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 for one, and on behalf of everyone, just really thank you for all you do and all you, you know, all you've shared with us tonight. So just a hearty, hearty thank you. Thank you, Anne. That's great. And uh, thank you all for having me. And I know that the concepts I put forward may be very different to some of the things that you generally hear here. So I invite you to just drop them. They're just concepts. They're not the truth if they don't resonate with you. And if they do resonate with you, then see where they dovetail in and fit, fit in with um, your seeking. Um, I do still do online satsangs once a week now. It's gone from six days down to three days, down to two days, now down to one day a week. So anyone who um, has enjoyed this can tune in on a Saturday. Um, and there's lots of YouTube um, content. So feel free. And I'm glad it resonates with you, Anne. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Roger.